Well, good. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and get started. Uh, my name is Brian Shackman, and I'm thankful that you guys can be here to, to be part of our uh, discussion today. Let me open us up with, with a word of prayer. God, we're thankful for the opportunity to think about uh, your work in, in small churches and what it looks like for us to uh, honor you uh, with the, the resources that we have. I pray that you would give uh, fresh energy and fresh uh, wisdom and a fresh spirit to all of the churches that are represented here. I pray that you would guide this conversation and that it would be a blessing uh, to all of us and that we would uh, learn from each other and learn how to best honor you in the different contexts that we find ourselves in. Uh, in your son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 So I've been in, in ministry at the Glendale Church of Christ about 40 minutes from here for almost 11 years at this point. And as we briefly discussed uh, last week, or yesterday, um, a small church generally is defined as around 200 or less, uh, because generally um, you can function as one family at that point, and so I know that you were coming from different contexts, like within uh, that number, uh, perhaps maybe um, on the small end of that, maybe towards the larger end of that. But one thing that statistically is happening in churches, and not just the Church of Christ denomination, but across denominations, is something that is disappearing is the mid-sized church, the church of around 200 to 500, and it seems like what is happening is churches are either around 100-ish or below, or like the mega churches now, and there's not a whole lot of in-between. And you can look at whatever megachurch happens to be in your town, and um, I, I love large churches. I think they do a really good job to serve um, God's work and ministry in the world. Matt preaches at a megachurch himself. <laughs> in the front row, smiling. Megachurch. Notice how no one's around him. Mark, Mark, that. Authoritarian. That close to him. And again, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for those churches. I think that they're they're really important. They serve a, a good role in the kingdom. But it's easy to look perhaps at whatever large church happens to be in your city and think, wow, like that, it's amazing what they're doing. Uh, but then if you look around at some of the other places, there's probably a lot of buildings in your city that look like there's not a whole lot going on in there. If you actually like really take a look and drive around. Uh, because oftentimes what is happening is the mid-sized church uh, is, is getting uh, smaller. And so it's important for us as churches are getting smaller to reflect on and think about um, what does it look like for us to honor God well in a smaller church? What is the purpose? What's the mission of a, a smaller church? So I've asked uh, our, our panel some questions. We had a different panel yesterday. I'd recommend you go and take a listen to it if you weren't here yesterday. We had some good uh, thoughts, and I'm hoping this panel will be uh, even better uh, this morning. Uh, but briefly, I'd like for you guys to just uh, introduce yourselves and uh, tell us a little bit about the context of, of your ministry. So go ahead and start us off. Uh, good morning. My name is Gabriel Guevara, Gabriel Guevara. Uh, I come from Benai Church of Christ. Uh, Benai Church of Christ used to be uh, an English ministry a uh, while back, and then uh, they started, uh, maybe like 20, 25 years ago, they started a Spanish ministry, and uh, probably based on the demographics in the San Fernando Valley, uh, the uh, Spanish ministry uh, start to grow a little bit, and, uh, and the English ministry was uh, getting smaller. So eventually the English ministry merged with uh, another congregation in Santa Clarita, and they moved there. And uh, in Venice, we now only have uh, a Spanish worshiping at mm -hmm. Venice Church of Christ. And uh, I'm an elder there, that we recently were uh, appointed 
elders and uh, Dr. You might not know, he's a, he's a celebrity, but we think um, for, I think we're not aware of any other Hispanic churches of Christ that have elders, so you are like right. one of, one of the, yeah, one of the few. There might be uh, more I'm not aware of, but uh, most uh, Spanish uh, ministry, most Spanish congregation in this area, and uh, probably in the whole country, um, operates under, uh, with no, no elders for mm. one reason or another. Uh, they normally start as uh, like a mission work uh, from the English ministry, like a small group that, that meet there. And it's, uh, it's pretty hard for them to become uh, a real formal ministry on their own. And that's kind of what we're working on at this point. Uh, there are many reasons uh, for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, that is the kind of the challenge for the Spanish groups in the area. Yeah. Uh, because like I mentioned before, as the demographic changes, uh, some things we, we cannot uh, keep from not changing, right? Yeah, so, uh, so that, that's what we are. There are several uh, ministries, Spanish ministry in the Los Angeles area, maybe close to 20. But most of them are small, and most of them operate under the wings of them, uh, of the English ministry. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thank you, Zach. Uh, my name is Zach Lubin. I am the youth and family minister for the Culver Palms Church of Christ, which is about 20 miles south of here. Uh, I have been there close to seven years, and I've been in full-time youth and family ministry for for over over 11 years. Um, and Culver Palms right now, I probably, we're probably about 120, 130. Uh, the church I served at previously, probably 120, 130 as well. Um, and serving in a church in LA, uh, I think commuter church is probably the, the term that is best describes most of our churches, where we have um, a lot of people who drive, uh, you know, uh, four or five miles, which on a Wednesday afternoon can be 30 to 40 minutes to get to anywhere in LA. Um, and so that's kind of the context that I have. I serve uh, about 20 students, uh, six through 12th grade, um, and uh, I'm blessed to, to work for, for a great church and uh, serve some great students. Uh, my name is Jim Canada, and uh, I am uh, the senior minister for Petoskey Church of Christ, which is the, I, they, they've made it like the coolest, like the healthiest, most exciting church I've ever even been to, much less been a part of. And, um, and then I'm, I'm also a teaching pastor at another church called The Bridge, which is, um, it's primarily a an, uh, church that exists for two of the treatment facilities in our community, like uh, drug rehabs, mm -hmm. and then also the homeless shelters, and uh, that's a lot of fun too. And so uh, they both would qualify a small church under the uh, working definition. Um, yeah, and I love small church. I think all churches should be smaller. <laughs> and also, if, if small churches weren't better, why would churches keep getting smaller? Like, that's what's happening. So, <laughs> there you go. Um, I guess we can, we can close. It's ideal. Close right there. Um, Correlation. Yeah, and as, as we think about small church and, and small church ministry, what would you guys say is, is the purpose of a small church? What are some of the benefits and blessings of working with, with a smaller congregation? 
I think the advantage, uh, or at least uh, from my perspective, the uh, advantage of being uh, small is to uh, reach to those closer to you. Um, I mean, statistically, and uh, we always think uh, we want a, a bigger house and a higher paying job and all the big things. Uh, but uh, I think uh, that's not uh, really grown on itself. And uh, mega churches are not wrong uh, on itself either. But uh, I think the uh, reaching out to those uh, close, closer to you is probably what makes uh, a small church much more interesting in the in the sense in the sense that. Uh, People need attention, and uh, and I I heard of uh, I've never been in a in a real big church. I used to visit uh, when I was looking for a place to worship. I used to visit uh, Grace Community, mm -hmm. which is a great great place. Uh, and uh, but yes, uh, I think the lacking of connection between the members uh, it really plays uh, an important role. Uh, in, uh, in in my my opinion, uh, we preach that Christ died for for everyone in the world, uh, and we we're sending missions and uh, we're trying to reach as far as we can, mm -hmm. which is great. Uh, but we have to keep in mind that Christ also died for uh, my spouse, mm -hmm. my kids. Um, my parents, my brothers and sisters, and for the people standing with me in line at the bank or at the DMV or, or anywhere else. So I think uh, it's easy to, I'm not trying to judge any work out there, but uh, sometimes we can be aiming really far and forgetting about the, our surrounding. And, uh, and our, our uh, main responsibility or the, or the number one responsibility should be to uh, yes in my opinion try to reach to those close to you and uh, and by and in order to do that you'll have to you'll have to know the people you have to be their friend and be acquainted with you have to know their needs and uh, and try to connect I mean it's so it's so hard to connect with with others if you don't have a already a relationship so uh, in, in a small group, in my uh, my perception is that it's easier to uh, uh, connect to them and get to know their needs and uh, and have a much more like he was saying at the at the beginning a much more a much more familiar uh, kind of environment. Well, um, so. I was only like 5% joking when I said that I think all churches should be smaller. Because um, I know it's funny, but um, I, uh, you, you remember that Jim, well, you know, and he's your elder, Jim, that was here yesterday. Uh, he he uh, read that quote by Chesterton, which was a little bittersweet for me because I've said similar things and I thought I made it up. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know, right? Um, but we have what we call like an anti-evangelism anti plan. Which is like we, we, I mean, I operate from a conviction that like we should probably stop making more disciples until we start making good ones. Um, and it, uh, like the metaphor that I kind of use is like 
if a couple comes to me for like marital counseling and like their marriage is on the brink of like falling apart, it would probably be irresponsible for me to be like, you know what you guys should do is adopt a bunch of kids and some dogs. Like just add more people to the situation. <laughs> it's terrible. No, what you need to do is you need to fix this situation before you even think about doing some of that stuff. And I'm not against all evangelism, but I do think we need to seriously look at like, do we even have church? Like, do we have actual communities of disciples? And I think you can do that in small church. In a, in a large church, that's very difficult. And honestly, um, there's some mega churches that I know of which are operating really well. One of them is in Cincinnati, and my friends are a part of that. But in those churches that operate really well, what seems to happen is that people connect to their small group, which functions as their church, and then they just go to a facility and all those little churches worship together. And so I think what the common theme, which we'll probably all talk about and was talked about yesterday, is that feeling of family and community, because uh, we're desperate for that, right? Like that's what we all want and it's kind of dissolved in our culture, but you can accomplish that in a small context in a way that in a big context, it's just, you're more agile and nimble in a small church and you can make changes and do things that you can't do with a huge ship. Yeah, I, I'll try to answer this maybe with an aspirational answer, maybe not something that uh, we're doing extremely well. I think uh, small churches, if, if they can kind of become comfortable with being small church, um, they have a, a unique opportunity to tackle uh, the issues that we all want to tackle and talk about in a family situation. Racial reconciliation, if it's the conversation about LGBTQI, um, those are tough conversations. I don't know how mega churches would handle those. Um, I think, from my experience, any conversation like that has to come with a, a lot of relationship, right? And you talk about that family. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if we as small churches aren't leveraging the gifts that God has given us to tackle some of those difficult conversations in relationship. Um, that you're going to have to have to get through that, through those things. And in my context at Culver Palms, we are blessed to be uh, probably raci fairly racially diverse. Um, and there are conversations that I am having with my students' parents, uh, African-American students' parents, uh, who are now comfortable to express some of the things that they are witnessing and some of the concerns that they have as members at our church. I'm not sure I get that if I'm a a youth minister of a church of 200 or 300. I don't have that same relationship with those, those families. I don't know where those conversations will go, but I think that's one of those blessings, and if we can uh, maybe leverage that, we'd, we'd be in a better spot to have some of those conversations. <coughs> yeah, I, I echo what, what Jim said I, when I talked with uh, megachurch pastors. I love, I love large churches. They do really great things, but all they try to do is try to get smaller and uh, I think one, one benefit of uh, a, a small church environment is you actually get to be challenged with living out the gospel because um, loving people is hard, actually. And when you're in a small church environment, you're going to have some encounters with people that aren't that great. Um, and obviously you can do that in a, in a larger church environment, too, where you have to... It, it, when you're in a smaller church, it's like you have to sit next to them again 
soon. And, um, it's not like you can kind of just you know, like go your separate ways and, and exist in like a different sphere. Uh, you have to really be, be challenged with, okay, what does it look like to live out the gospel? What does love uh, require of, of me in, in, this, in this relationship, in this situation? And I have to like figure that out because this person is going to be in front of me again uh, pretty soon. So I think that, that, is, that is a blessing. And yeah, again, that can happen in, in a small group environment, but oftentimes just the, our, our Sunday gatherings, I think, function as like a bit of like a large family, small group. Um, so people get a little bit of that. Um, and we also get the chance, I think, especially in a place like L.A., and uh, we mentioned this yesterday, but we came up recently with, through a vision conversation for our church, we um, call, called our church a home in L.A. is like kind of a slogan for us. And I think that um, idea matters a lot. And one benefit of a smaller environment is that you come to our church, and if we do it well, you walk out of there with three to five people that you now know um, and we're able generally to see like all right these are some <coughs> some new people these are um, people that we want to try and talk with and um, as was talked about yesterday small churches don't always do a better job of that than big churches but if we are intentional and we can be more nimble as you said to help teach people to be more welcoming <coughs> we have the opportunity to give people even a small glimpse of the deep relationships that I think we all desire almost immediately um, versus like come to this, and then, then you're going to have to come to that, and hopefully you find a small group that works. It, it's a way to kind of bring bring people um, in pretty well. What what would you guys say are some of the um, successes of your church that you'd say you're you're proud of and, and thankful that you've been able to, to accomplish recently? Um, I think because we are the size that we are and we have the resources that we do, you have to be creative in kind of living out the, the mission of God. And so um, one of the things that we do uh, is we've reached out. Uh, L.A. Um, is a huge city, and so they have these things called neighborhood councils. They've divided up L.A. into these neighborhoods. And so we have the Palms Neighborhood Council, and uh, they are local stakeholders in the community of the Palms neighborhood. And so we work uh, fairly regularly with them throughout the year. We host uh, the launch site for the LA Homeless Count, which is uh, throughout LA County. They do a point in time count of, of homeless people and that data is used to uh, use funds or kind of fund programs throughout LA. And so we've hosted that the last four or five years. Um, we're currently working with them to, to be a host site for the CERT program, which is a, a community emergency response training program for everyone. And so I'm very proud of the way that we, even in our, our size, we're not trying to recreate the wheel. We're not trying to build a new program and invite people to us. We're really trying to go and say, what are things that will bless our community? Um, and I think because of our size and our resources, we've been, uh, God has forced us to do that that way. Uh, I think in our uh, specific situation with uh, the Spanish uh, church, uh, for us, our uh, appointing, appointing elders has been the, the thing that we consider the most, the most important um, in order to uh, organize the church the way it's supposed to be organized in the New Testament. Uh, and like uh, we mentioned before, most Spanish-speaking ministries in, in the LA area uh, doesn't have uh, elders yet. 
and uh, and I think that is, that is a really critical point as uh, the work in the church is uh, is better handled and it's uh, it, it can take a different approach on how you do things. Uh, uh, I don't know if this is the correct way to do it, but uh, the centralizing power is is critical on how things can better work. Uh, so for us, it's, uh, it's, it's, we're really blessed to uh, be able to do that. Our, uh, the uh, English-speaking elders uh, were the ones that kind of, uh, a, kind of uh, help us to, to develop a plan and, and, and do it. And, uh, and, and you'll face uh, different situations. Uh, being the, the first group of elders serving in, in a small congregation, for one thing, people is not used to have elders, so uh, sometimes they forget they're there, uh, and, uh, and it's okay, you know, as long as things are, are, are still moving smoothly. Uh, so, and, and uh, I, that's understandable that they, uh, they're not used to have it, so they might still do things their own way, and we're just watching from the back, and things are working normal, then and they're fine, we don't have to interfere, right? And, uh, and also for the preacher. The preacher, uh, the Spanish preacher, is not used to work with elders, so sometimes he will do things the way he always does, right? And uh, nothing wrong with that um, unless we have to come in and give our opinion, right? Uh, as, as this process goes on, uh, you will face uh, and uh, find people in, inside, in your congregation member that will think, uh, Maybe it's so and so were better qualified than the one they choose or pick, but uh, and uh, I think that's also kind of normal, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but I think uh, and I was talking to Brian a while back that we had lunch together. By the way, next time you pay. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Brian. Yeah, Brian. I offered to pay. I offered to pay. We know your church has uh, money now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the things that is. Uh, uh, it's important, it's, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, to establish to establish the ministry. Because uh, as time goes by, some of us will leave, will go away, will die. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the, the ministry is already in place for new members to come in, to jump into the wagon and start serving, right? Yes. Maybe they'll do a better job than we do. But I think uh, uh, forming the institution, establishing the institution, is that the word I can use? Uh, that will uh, that's it, that's the important part in my opinion. So new members will come in. Some of them will some of them will pass, but at least the church will have the foundation to uh, to do the things the, the the way that we learn in the New Testament. So for us, that's a, a major accomplishment. Uh, so when we when you send me those questions, mm -hmm. I just instead of like having a sermon one day, I just asked my church, I was like, what should I say about these questions? Like, what do you guys think? And when it came to that question about the greatest accomplishment or whatever, um, they had a bunch of answers, but there were two things that came up more than anything else. And they really, really wanted me to tell you all that like, it's possible to have a real, like a church that's really a family, not in a metaphorical way, where you, where you would choose each other and you live your life together and it's safe to talk about anything or to say anything that you want to say. Um, I mean, literally, when my church gathers, 
you may hear anything from, I don't know if I believe in God, to the F word, to whatever. Like, people just say whatever. Um, I mean, they're just open. I mean, and real, and it's like tender, and it's intimate, and there's accountability, and it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. And being able to be a part of that is one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of in my life, much less the last five years. Um, are, are we taking questions? No, not, not, not from not time. Right, not, not right now. Oh. <laughs> How did you accomplish that accomplishment? Well, it's the, the other thing. The other thing I think that's contributed to that, there's a lot of streams that run into that, but um, one of them is about a year and a half ago, me and my associate minister, super tired of um, just giving people information, which you're getting no return on investment, right? Like you're just giving them information, and it may land with people, it may not, if they remember your sermon two weeks later, you're excited, right? If they even remember what it was about, not if they did it. And so we're just tired of it. And we're like, you know, like we've been into spiritual formation and I, we've been into like the spiritual disciplines and stuff for years, me and my associate minister. And so we started something called the practice. And on Wednesdays, I told my whole church, I was like, we're going to do this thing. If you come to it, you will be transformed but you're not allowed to be a part of it unless you give your word that you'll do the practices. Mm -hmm. And so they had to make that commitment and, and like basically make an oath on their integrity that they would do the stuff. And so we've been doing it for a year and a half and it's been the most transformative thing I've ever been a part of. Like we, we get to watch like measurably seeing people transformed <laughs> into Jesus. And the beautiful thing is like they're becoming like Jesus, but not like each other. Mm. Like, they still have their own identity, their, their own version. It's not becoming, like, uniformity. They're just, like, turning into these beautiful disciples. And so we get together on Wednesdays, and we'll eat together at 6.30. And then we'll actually, so there's, sometimes there's a bit of instruction. Like, we'll teach them about some ancient practice of our faith. And then we do it together, which is a huge part. And then they do it on their own throughout the week. And then what happens with that is when there's hundreds of different disciplines... Which, by the way, a lot of people don't even know. Like, they think, how do you get closer to God? Read your Bible, pray more. A lot of people don't even know that there's hundreds of different ways of, to pray. And so when you start instructing them in that and they do it, each individual person, because of a whole constellation of issues, like their background, what works for them, their personality, they'll hang on to something. Like, for instance, most of them really hung on to a uh, pra uh, practice called breath prayer. Is anybody familiar with that? Um, there's a really ancient breath prayer uh, called the Jesus Prayer, where you breathe in Lord Jesus Christ and breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you focus on that, and, and you're just meditating on that truth, but also, like, the presence of God. And breath prayer now, like, I, it's amazing because they're talking about how their anxiety has been lowered, how they are aware of the presence of God around them throughout the day and their life, and then they're sharing it with other people. I never asked them to. But they're having, like, one person was telling me that a coworker was having an issue and was just being anxious at work. And she taught her how to do breath prayer, and it's worked. And it's, it's just the incredible thing. I was like, all these years, I was like, hey, go and tell your friends. And I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, give, give them something that's actually true and that matters and makes a difference in their life, and you don't have to tell them to share it. That's, that's awesome. So you think that that has been the thing that has helped 
your church kind of grow as a family more than anything? So the other part is hospitality. So like I, uh, my wife and I, she's a saint, by the way. Um, we invite our entire church to our house for lunch every Sunday. And, and over half of them come. Um, more, actually, probably than that. And she feeds all of them. It's amazing, right? Um, and that's where church actually happens, right? Uh, so the practice. And then if you walk around my house on a Sunday afternoon and people are there for hours and hours, kids are everywhere, but you walk through and you hear church happening in my house because a couple of ladies will be sitting over in the corner and they're talking about what they're going through. And one of them is ministering to the other or they're reminding them of one of the practices that we learned that could help in the situation. And I'm walking through and I'm like, they're ministering to each other and they don't even know it. Like they think they're just being friends. But they're pastoring each other. And we'll have deep conversations. We'll have silly conversations. Um, but we made a commitment. Like the people that are experiencing transformation at my church primarily are the ones that have decided I'm going to make the space in my schedule for our lives to overlap. Because we have to actually know each other to have the relational equity to not, not only hold each other accountable, but to speak blessing into each other's life that's meaningful. Mm -hmm. Like when I tell one of these guys that I'm best friends with something about him that I admire, he knows me well enough to know that I don't care enough about anyone's opinion to blow smoke up, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so if I'm saying that to him, I mean it, you know? And so then it means something to him, and we're able to do that with each other. And, like, yeah, it's just time spent together. And so that's a thing that I've asked from them was now, now it's worked enough with enough people that we, that we have the credibility, me and my associate clan, other people, to say, if you'll trust us to try this, this will work. And so, yeah, I think it's all those things. Yeah. Probably others, too, that we're not aware of. Thanks. Yeah, I think something, something that's been a blessing for me, I think as, as a Christian, it's easy to just kind of get into the routine of participating in church and not really recognize God's, God's spirit and presence as active in, in, your, in your midst. And um, there was a time I... I've told this story before, but there's a time a couple years ago where uh, we had a, a baptism at church, and there was this guy at the back who just like raised his hands, like, I want to get baptized too. And he's like, <laughs> I can confess Jesus is Lord and came and got baptized. And then um, I didn't even really recognize this because I'm not in charge, but part of being, being a small church, there's just different things that you kind of need people to start doing. And so he started serving communion for us. And um, he often was wearing a Raiders jersey while he served communion, so it was not the, not the most dressed appropriate, but it, we were just so, so happy that, that he was there. And he's a Raiders fan, it's a little scary too. But um, he, he died about a year ago, and um, the lady who was his, his best friend who would bring him to church, um, she, she said, you have no idea how much it meant to him that he served communion here at this church. And um, she, she said... Every single Sunday, when they were when they would park in the church parking lot, um, he would turn to her and say, "You think I look good enough to serve communion?" Today? Mm -hmm. And um, she she said, "You look you look amazing. You look, you look perfect." Um, so, one of one of the things that I think we can offer as, as small churches, if we do a good job of it, is that um, we have these roles that are available like right away. It's like okay, you've you've 
been you've been baptized, you've been around here for a while, like here, like here's here's a job, here's a role, like just let's let's get let's get started. Um, and I think that I I try um, more and more just as a leader to uh, think about God's God's presence more and um, just to kind of sit sit in the comfort of that that God God is there in, in the ordinary God is God is like not um, just in like the big aha moments but in the the weekly the routine and if we are uh, a church of people like committed to gathering around and communing with God's presence you just have no idea what's what's happening and um, there's a real relief in that and that's been been a blessing for for me personally what what would you guys say I mean I think one of the one of the awesome things about a large church environment is it's it's energetic I mean you get a chance as a parent to drop off your four and a half year old at the four and a half year old kids class and you know, whatever it's just it's a really energetic super super positive um, experience and I think that Christian life is actually a balance between energetic and faithfulness and I think smaller churches sometimes encourage the faithfulness piece but there's sometimes long periods without the energy uh, that you have those glimpses of like the energetic moment and you get like some, some new families or some baptisms and those things happen but I think that balance is, is what's important but how do you like, consistently uh, encourage and find ways to People, keep people energized, because that, I think, is probably the, the greatest challenge that we all have. Um, I, I think uh, everybody have a busy life, regardless of what you do, even if you don't do much. Uh, uh, and, uh, you, you think you're busy, even if you don't do much. And, uh, I mean, but in general, we all are. There's so many things, family, work, church. It's, uh, it can eat up your time. Well, what, we're doing, what we do in our congregation is uh, to uh, keep pointing out to those needs that the congregation has. We have, uh, in, in order to uh, keep people motivated and involved, uh, and uh, like uh, we're constantly mentioning or having our booking, uh, so-and-so is at the hospital, we have to go see him. Uh, so and so, we need to take the Lord supper or or, or go visit somebody, uh, and also uh, we're uh, doing what what you mentioned as new members comes in. We're uh, we're trying to find something for them to do. Uh, sometimes people is uh, very uh, willing to do things. Sometimes they're not. So you find all all kind of uh, situation. But uh, uh, I think uh, once you become part of the work. Uh, that really, that's what motivated you to uh, keep on going, and uh, and so that's what we normally do. Like uh, we'll have a class, uh, a singing class, uh, with the youth trying to find the prospect. Uh, we'll uh, lead songs later on and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, you always find find something. It's like a, a, I don't know what the right phrase for like a throwing a net when you're fishing. Uh, you'll you'll cut something, right? Yeah, so as long as you're uh, working on that, there will be people uh, motivated to do things. There is a lady, actually, in our church uh, that she's, uh, uh, she's kind of disabled. She can't do much, uh, and she lives with, uh, with her daughter. Uh, she doesn't work. She's kind of in a retired age, 
and uh, and Chido, Chido part of any social program that she doesn't get help from any government agency to survive. So her her resources are very limited, and uh, she'll come to us to I don't remember if it was me or somebody else and say, you know I I cannot do much but uh, but I like uh, knitting. Is that the right mm -hmm. word? You can knit yeah. it? And and she said I wanna need uh, hats for uh, for uh, the people at the convalescent home. Mm -hmm. So she does that all year, and we don't know. We can see it when she's doing it, but uh, by around uh, November or something like that, she'll come to me and say, "How many we have? How many we have? Mm -hmm. How many people is there? Because I I wanna count how many hats I have." Mm -hmm. uh, so. There is a way, and, and, uh, and I offer to pay for the material. He said, no, I, I have material, I have material. Mm -hmm. So she'll never made, made us, uh, let us pay for the material. So uh, there is something to do for everybody. Uh, but I think as, uh, as leaders, we don't have to uh, also help them to find the, the, the right uh, um, uh, track, right? The, the right place to serve. Yeah. I think, uh, it's like redefining what's, what's energetic in a small church. I think, you know, listening to Jim, and, you know, you talk about that comfortability of being a small church. Um, when you look at, if you start comparing, like, the, the big church and small church, right, like, their energy level, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. Like, I don't have the, I don't have um, the resources to do that, right? So, uh, in youth ministry, uh, you know, uh, I had Wednesday nights where I had, like, two kids show up. Right, and that's not like how do you build energy? Like every everything that I read is like when you get your kids together, you know, here's the game, and it's like 15 to 20. You're like that doesn't yeah. work when I have two kids. So you you got to redefine what's energetic, right? Where you're, and then as a minister, you have to start helping other people see what's energetic about your church, right? It's the relationships, it's the church on your on your Sunday afternoon, right? But I don't, I don't think that happens until you can kind of live into the identity of whatever your church is at that time. Um, you know, do you want to, you know, growth is great, but what kind of growth and at what cost? And um, do you want to be that high energy? Uh, maybe not. You know, maybe it's, the, it's being energized by the uh, tomorrow I'm going to take two kids to go see another two kids uh, in a play, right? And, uh, I'm not taking 30, I'm not taking 40, uh, but I, I'm going to bring energy to that and help kids see that that's, that's energetic, that's church, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's just maybe being clear, what do we mean by energy when we, in that sense when we, when we talk about it as a church? You know? mm -hmm. so. That's good. Um, so we, we uh, one of the things I love about small church is that, is that you don't, well, some small churches try to be everything. Like big churches can have a ministry for everything. Like I like your line about the class for four and a half year olds um, at mega church. But you don't need to do that. You should do what you're supposed to do, and not what other people are supposed to do. And so for us, we we've all, we've tried to operate from the conviction that what a lot of people do is they set out a plan for what they'd like to do in their community, and then they sort of turn it into God, and they're like. Well, we're not sure what you wanted us to do, but this is what we'll be up to. Um, instead of discerning, like, what does God want to do in this community? And we discern that in a couple different ways. I won't take the time to explain all those processes, but it involves talking to all of our people. 
And if you understand, like, everybody has the, every Christian has the spirit of God in them, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no percentages. And, no. like, everybody has it. So God can speak through anybody, right? Like, God can speak through Balaam's ass. He can speak through any person, you know? Amen. Um, like, and so you, you find out what God called your people to do, and you don't have to manufacture energy because it's inside of them, mm-hmm. and they want to do it, right? And, uh, yeah, so it's just like, I, I think people have called, it's what uh, Gabriel said. There's something for everybody to do, and you find out, like, what are they called to do? And that works long term instead of just saying, here's what I need you to do. So we try and, we try and do a balance of, we don't really think about the percentages, but the majority of what we do is, is based out of calling and passion and what God's leading us to do. And then we also try and have another percentage of obligation. So like nobody wants to wash the dishes, but everybody needs to have washed the dishes. You know what I mean? Or do the mouse traps. or um, we have a real squirrel problem at my church. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, it's significant. And nobody wants to deal with that, but we also just will, you know? And I mean, intrinsically, nobody wants to. I've got a bunch of guys. Like, I'll do it. One guy said he was going to bring one of his guns and just, like, shoot them in the attic. And I'm like, we're right next to Walmart. <laughs> you can't do that. But you find people's passions and... Uh, as long as it's legal, you, you know, you support that. Or mostly. You're a good enough shot you can do it. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, well, something that, that we did recently, um, it's, it's not, not really a novel concept, but we had a Be the Church Sunday where um, everybody just, just showed up and uh, we had come up with about 15 different projects in our community to do. And that was a real blessing for me as a minister to just think through, okay, what are, what are gifts and talents that our church has that we could, we could use in this, in this time? And, um, like, there's a couple that has just moved from Austin, Texas, and they were part of a ministry that um, served um, sandwich lunches. And I just said, hey, you guys do that for us. And, like, you can go out to L.A. and, and do that. We have a, a barber in our church um, who does my hair, so he must be really good. And... Um, <laughs> He, he just did haircuts at church, and we just put up a sign, and people from the community um, came in for a haircut. And that, that was kind of what you were talking about, Gabriel, of finding, finding ways to um, just think, okay, what, during this, this hour um, on Sunday, what, what could we do that is, like, pushing us beyond ourselves and um, helping us to recognize the it's not just, I think one of the problems in, in churches is that we, generally recognize the ministry gift of uh, perhaps the worship leader that you have or the preacher, but there's so many other gifts and finding ways to empower people uh, to use those in, in God's service is just really, I think, the ultimate challenge of any church. Um, and as a smaller congregation, I think you have a chance to just do that and say, well, what are the you know, things that we could do that do make a positive difference? What, what would you guys say specifically um, in our context in, in 2019 is um, a real positive thing. And I know that you're all probably at different sized churches, but for those who are at um, smaller churches, that they could uh, go back and, and encourage members of their churches that, you know, in, in 2019, your small church matters because why? Why does it 
make a difference? Uh, meaning uh, to have an impact? Yeah, like what, what, what things can they, they have a positive impact on? Yeah. Uh, for us, I think uh, one of the things that I, I noticed uh, as, we, uh, as we live as Christians uh, is uh, sometimes it's easy to forget the basic. The basic of Christianity is love. Uh, is in uh, uh, again uh, as I mentioned before. I don't think this is the right answer to the question, but uh, uh, sharing love with others is uh, <coughs> is not always uh, easy. Uh, like you mentioned, there are different personalities and uh, different situations. But I think uh, for uh, for us, uh, where we can make an impact is uh, is on is on, on sharing love through through Christ and. Uh, and there is so much need. Uh, I I wasn't born here. I don't know if you already noticed it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, this is a very interesting society. You know, this is I mean a, a country that is ahead of uh, everybody else in the world. Uh, but interconnecting with people is not always easy. A lot of people goes ignored, uh, even in our own families small group. Uh, there is a lady in our congregation, uh, Maria Reyes, that's her name, Maria Reyes. Uh, she's uh, probably uh, in her uh, early uh, 70s. She looked like 90s. Uh, she lived uh, about half a block away from, uh, from the congregation. Uh, I don't remember how she started coming to worship with us, if she was invited or if she walked in by herself, but uh, she lives alone, uh, and she has uh, eight. Uh, she's sick. She has no relatives in the here in the in the, in the U.S. Her closest relative is a brother about her age that lives in Tijuana, who is uh, as sick as she is or worse. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rest of her family lives in uh, in Guadalajara. Uh, and uh, she's basically alone. We are her only family. And uh, she loves uh, coming to church. She, she only doesn't come when she doesn't feel like she can walk and all that. But uh, uh, she loves to be hugged. Uh, we come to her and give her a hug. And uh, she loves for people to tell her that, that she looks great on the clothes that she's wearing and, and all that. And, she plays jokes with me, and she can, uh, we're gonna run away together or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I think uh, her main uh, her main need is uh, is love. Yeah, and I think uh, that's a that's a real big gap to fill uh, for church, and uh, and I think that that's uh, she's not the only person in that situation. I think there's a lot of people. That, that doesn't, uh, uh, I have in some notes that I took that, uh, I mean, we heard this all the time in the news. There is a small percentage of very rich people and millions of very poor people. There is a small percentage of very famous and well-known people and millions of us that uh, are really 
unknown or ignored sometimes. Uh, sometimes not even our own relatives know that we exist. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so that's the kind of a situation in, in, the, in uh, nowadays society. Uh, so I think uh, we do, uh, people need to know that they, in, in my opinion, I didn't study psychology, but in my opinion, people have the need to feel that they exist, that, that they are accounted for, that they, uh, they, have, uh, they are worth something. So for people to come and say hi to them and, and uh, interact with them and, uh, and show them God's love and uh, good friendship, I think that really makes a difference. And uh, for us, uh, we, we would like to work more into that, uh, mm -hmm. to that area. Um, I just think God's faithful and God's doing work in, in, in God's church, regardless of the size, you know. Um, and uh, being faithful to that, you know, and trusting that, I think, is, is, is important. Like, like Gabriel said, you know, people need love, you know. Um, sometimes we get so caught up in church growth or this idea of being next or the next big thing or whatever that looks like. And, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I could go on about how sort of, uh, sort of an American dream has seeped its way into Christian culture. And so we have maybe a, a, an unhealthy view of even celebrity culture within the church uh, that... Uh, the God's Faithful, I had this really interesting non-job interview that I thought it was a job interview for this really small church, about 30. Um, I went, I preached, uh, and then didn't hear anything for three or four months and thought, okay, it was over. Then I got a call from uh, someone at the church who said, um, I know you thought you came to interview for us, but you didn't interview for us because we're not looking for a preacher. Uh, we're just going to stay... 30 or 40, we're not, we don't have a, a plan for next, and we're just going to continue to be faithful to the people who are here and to the guests who come on, on the summer. Um, and I thought, well, that's strange, and I'm not sure how to, to take that. Uh, and and upon reflecting on that, though, I mean, that's a church, and you could t we could disagree about that, that church plan or whatever that is, but for that church, they're remaining faithful to what they believe God has called them to do. <coughs> who am I to say that they're not doing it? Right, I'm not part of that community. I don't uh, get to say that necessarily. So I think just being faithful to what God is doing in your in your congregation, hopefully having the the eyes to see where God is working. Right, I think that sometimes uh, I struggle with that to be faithful in those moments. So yeah. that's all. That's awesome. I don't really remember what the question was. <laughs> what 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 word of encouragement would you give to somebody who's going going back to work in a, a small church environment? Okay. Um, like, do you want me to just be inspiring or honest? Either one. <laughs> um, so, like, if you're going back to a church that's toxic and unloving and it's not an environment you want to be in, try, try to change that. Like, as radically, do whatever you have to do to change that. And a good place to start would be to go online and listen to the class that Matt Dabbs just did. I think, every, I think it should be required listening. Um, it was really important. Um, and if that doesn't work, do something else. But if you're in a church where you have like any level of health, just embrace that. And also, um, we're talking about small church, which implies like you know if you go on and online and read about you know seriously Google like the benefits of small church, and the articles that come up are like 
how to make your church explode with growth as though something's wrong with small church. Honestly, I mean, if you if you feel like that, I would say, ask yourself, why do I want my church to be bigger? Honestly. And then also read the parable of the talents and be like, well, am I currently being faithful with what I have entrusted to me? And if not, start doing that. And that'll make a huge difference. And the other thing, too, is we were, the discussion yesterday, it got kind of um, critical. Like, somebody asked a question, it was kind of critical about churches and um, and how sometimes, like, you know, you've been there for a while and people don't want to change or whatever. Like, I, I always say, like, if you've been at your church longer than five years, um, churches take on the personality of the leader. So before you criticize them, you might take a breath and say, how much change am I willing to do personally um, to lead them by example to where I want them to go? But I definitely would go home with the notion that small church is awesome. Like the struggles that you have, like I know some of you guys might be in difficult situations. I've been there before, by the way, in really tough situations and dealing with toxic people and having to do those hard things. But it can be so amazing. Like the, the, the biggest struggle that we have at my church is having enough money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's amazing because my church is so awesome. There's such incredible, like devoted people that if we ran out of money, I would just get another job. I'm not leaving this church unless they make me. Um, and so it can be like that. Like there's, you can do that and you can go from a not great situation to a really great situation in a small church. I don't know how you do that in big church, like in really massive churches. And maybe you just get somebody a lot smarter than me to help you do it, but I don't know. Um, that's Matt Dabbs, by the way. I was just talking about him before he came in. Um, I know him. So, yeah, when he gets big, you just remember that I know him. Um, um, I don't know if that answered no, your question. No, that, that, but that, is, that is helpful. I, yeah, I, I think... I think the, the biggest issue collectively that small churches have is that we can often think about what we don't have uh, versus what we do. And uh, there is a, a real real positive benefit that if, if your leaders are energized, like you could make a great difference in your city. Uh, I, I read recently there's um, not enough things that people could do for good in the name of Jesus. Just come up with stuff. Be, be creative. Think about how you could love your city. And just as I was kind of thinking about this class and preparing uh, for this, just, just last Sunday, um, the result of a, a conversation with a, a few people, there's a, a family who I uh, was kind of breaking down and said, like, we, we need some, some help with rent this month. And within 12 hours, our church had a $1,000 check for this person. And it's just like this... I mean, we, we do that pretty often, that kind of situation. Someone comes, health, health need or something. And um, I think in, in a larger environment, without like a really strong small group community, that kind of stuff can fall through the cracks. And um, we're, we're nimble. We're able to make decisions pretty quickly. And there are things that your churches, or if you're in any, any size environment, that you, you, don't, you don't even know what's happening. You don't know what God is doing um, through you. And that's pretty awesome because um, as, as Jim said kind of the conversation that was happening in his home where the people are ministering to, to each other they don't even necessarily uh, realize it 
if, if you uh, lead with, with passion and lead, uh, lead from positivity um, and focus on what you do have, you can accomplish great things for, for the kingdom of God. Can, can I say one more thing about sure. that? Um, like one of the things that occurs to me too, like, so I think gratitude is a soil that every other virtue grows in. And like, I love that first John three, where John is just sort of like, what kind of love is this that we get to be called the children of God? And we, and we are. And like, you, like, it is an obnoxious grace that God entrusts me to care for even one other person. That's wild. And so like if I have 20 or 30 people, like why should I get to do that? That is incredible. Like the fact that I get to just be in the family of God is, is beautiful enough. But then him saying, no, you can help other people with that. Like just, I, I learned this from one of my associate ministers. I was like, a couple years ago, I was in this place of being like, man, there's a lot of people that are connected to our church and are coming or whatever. And he said something to me that changed what we did for a while. He goes, he's like, what if we stop worrying about it and we just focus on who shows up? Because mm. it's not fair to them that we're thinking about who's not here when they are. And I was like, yup, we're doing that from now on. And so it's just made, it's made us more grateful because we're like, you know, what if it's just 14 people? You have 14 people coming together and being like, how can we be more like Jesus? That's awesome. So just step back and think about it. That is all I guess I'm saying. Yeah, yeah and it's a thought that I mentioned yesterday that I think is important is that um, we're more connected than ever, but more lonely than ever. Yeah. And uh, especially in small church environments, you have awesome opportunities to connect to new people and even even in small small environments there's still going to be visitors who are coming there regularly and you have the opportunity to welcome them into the family of God and yeah. um, you have a chance to make them uh, feel connected so we are out of time today you're welcome to come up and, and chat with, with any one of us I'll have, uh, Gabriel close us in prayer and I promise to pay for lunch next time let's <laughs> <laughs> pray our Father in heaven we thank you for the, the great opportunity to come together before you and spend this time talking about the work in your church and all the different uh, situations that your uh, kingdom goes by every day. We pray that you will bless the work that's been done here uh, to Brian and to all the brothers that are uh, uh, helping out in this, uh, in this program. And uh, we pray that you will be with us as we go back to our congregation, that you will inspire us and give us the energy to do the things that will glorify your name and will uh, Reach to those uh, that need to uh, know your mercy, your love, and all the beautiful things that you can do for each one of your, your children. Uh, we thank you for uh, this uh, program and this uh, place, this university, and we uh, pray that you will bless all the work on here and that will always uh, be to, uh, again, to glorify your name and to uh, expand the knowledge of people here about the, the only God that exists. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.